Welcome to the chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 88 of Chalk Talk, brought to you by the Painted Lines. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter at halfandhalf underscore TPL. Now, after Black Monday, after our Black Monday episode where we went through fixing our franchise, I received intel uh, that Mark had bought a one-way ticket to Thailand and had no intention (laughs) to return. Uh, So joined virtually here for this podcast is, of course, the best co-host in the game. Uh, It is Mark Henry Jr. Mark, how are you doing this evening? How's Thailand? Yeah, I forgot my my uh, my camera on the way to Bangkok. Um, yeah, it's the only it's the only city in Thailand that I, I could think of because of the hangover. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's all I got on Thailand. Yeah, I, it looks like Cliff Kingsbury um, to to keep it PG uh, is having a great time in <laughs> Thailand. I'll I'll leave it at that based on what I saw on uh, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are going to get into the wild card weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about all the games. We're going to preview uh, the divisional round of the playoffs. So the teams are condensed. The show might be a little condensed, although you've probably heard us say that before. So we'll see how it goes. But we're going to sort of combine a, a preview with a review here so we can talk a little bit about the upcoming games. Uh, with no Eagles game to talk about in the review portion, though, we're just going to dive right in and go in chronological order here. Uh, And we'll start with the Seattle Seahawks, who traveled to the San Francisco 49ers, and they lost 23-41. to I think the game was a little bit closer than that score shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, San Fran was down 17-16 to at halftime, but they scored 25 straight in the second half of the game. They sort of ran away with it. Uh, Christian McCaffrey ends with 119 yards rushing. He had 17 yards receiving and a receiving TD. Debo Samuel, 32 yards rushing, 133 yards receiving, and a touchdown. Uh, all in all, San Fran had 505 yards of offense, and they only punted one time. I, I thought watching this game, I really thought Seattle had a chance in the first half. Brock Purdy started out poorly in this game, but he leveled out as the game went along, and their defense sort of took control of the game. Uh, their playmakers, obviously he's got an absurd amount of playmakers and it just sort of took over. And so uh, San Francisco ends up moving on to the next round. And it was, was this the least close game? I think it, well, the Cowboys game, but in one of the least exciting games, I guess, but I didn't think for the first half, this game was in question. Yeah, no, it was definitely a game, uh, you know, for a long portion of this game for about two and a half quarters of this game. I think, the biggest takeaway for San Fran is probably that you got the best version of Debo Samuel that you've gotten all year long. Um, and obviously he's one of the more versatile and one of the most interesting players in the NFL, one of the most fun players to watch. And when he's going, you know, it's really hard to game plan to stop him. And Oh yeah. Not to mention Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk are also on that offense. So you can't devote too many resources to Debo Samuel or else, you know, you just get picked apart elsewhere. And that's kind of the numbers game that San Francisco has. And I'm sure like Kyle Shanahan's been dreaming of an offense like this for years, I'm sure. And it almost renders the quarterback position as almost unimportant as who's playing it. Uh, when you have this many guys going this way from a weapons perspective and when the offensive line is as elite as it is. And I think 
Kyle knows that this is probably, uh, you know, a short window. Uh, and that sounds dumb because a lot of their talent is really young. But they have multiple offensive linemen up this offseason on free agency. It's going to be hard to keep all four of those weapons healthy together and playing through a full season going forward, considering the fact that McCaffrey, Debo, Kittle, and Ayuk have all had injury history. He, If Shanahan wants to go and finally chase that elusive Super Bowl ring that you know, he's gotten close to a couple times. I think he knows, quarterback aside, this is probably the best roster he's ever going to have. And a big part of that is because they're not paying a quarterback because they haven't really figured out what they're doing there yet. I guess they're paying Jimmy G like backup money, but this is the roster that Kyle has to win with, kind of. And it's an interesting situation to be in when you juxtapose it with the fact that they have Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy playing quarterback. Yeah, it's really bizarre what they've been able to do. And I saw, I should have pulled up the graphics, but I saw like the EPA per play and like the, the completion percentage or expectation stuff. And like the yards after catch, it was a graph with like yards after catch and average depth of target. And the 49ers are just way up here away from everybody else. It's just insane the talent they have on this roster and it's going to be a problem for the Cowboys next week. And it's probably going to be a problem for uh, the Eagles the week after that. I think they're just such a good football team, but I did feel like you saw some chinks in the armor. They should not, it should not have been a one point game at halftime against a team like Seattle. And so I thought that was sort of the theme of this wild card weekend is there's chinks in the armor for all of these teams, maybe mm-hmm. less so for San Fran than the others that we're going to get to. Um, uh, so oh, go ahead. I, I we're going to get to an interesting conversation about the quarterback position uh, because we were talking about it off air here a little bit. But I, I first off, I, w- I want to ask a question and I'll give uh, Good Morning Football credit for the question. Uh, I, but I thought it was interesting. Which head coach currently in the playoffs can impact their legacy the most with a Super Bowl ring? They were arguing for Shanahan at one point. Um, because, you know, once he gets a ring, he can officially kind of be in that rare air of, you know, special McVay, uh, you know, all-time Madden, all-time coaches. Uh, but then they were saying, what if Doug Peterson mm-hmm. wins the second ring uh, with the second franchise in Jacksonville who uh, has never won one? So uh, it's an interesting question. Then someone said McCarthy because everyone thinks he's an idiot. So if he if he won a second ring with a second team with like a second storied franchise at a certain point, they'd have to give him credit. Which one do you think it is? Is it one of the ones I mentioned or is it someone I didn't say? It's it's Doug. It's Doug Peterson. No, no coach in NFL history has won a Super Bowl with two different teams. So he would be the first one to do it. And he would do it the year after the Jags won, what, two games? Like Wait, his is first that years. I didn't know that that's that's true. I, I, I didn't know that then no one's ever done it with two teams. Yeah, that, that is just based on a quick Google search as I was looking it up to see. Uh, <laughs> it says, so Google said 25 coaches in NFL history have appeared in more than one Super Bowl during their careers. No head coach has ever won a Super Bowl with two different teams. Wow, well, McCarthy's up for that too. Yeah, so I mean, I would say I would say it's got to be Doug for do, becoming the first one to do that, uh, doing it in Jacksonville of all places in his first year there 
Which, I mean, and obviously, like, they would have to beat the Chiefs, so he'd have to knock off his mentor, Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. And, and then they would have to go knock off the Bills or Cincinnati. So they, they would have a very – it's not going to happen. Like, they'd have yeah. a tremendously difficult road. But if it were to happen, I think that's the answer. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the other – you know, Dable, he's, like, too young for, for that conversation to even matter really. Uh, you know, I, I feel like McDermott won't be the one who gets the full credit if the Bills win anyway. Yeah, I, I think that it's – I actually would – if you go with uh, with that, I'll go with McCarthy because I think people do think he's an idiot, including me. And if they if he won a second ring and he broke that streak and he won a second ring with a second franchise, uh, that would, you know, that would have to force people to start giving him a little credit probably. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Um, you know, flipping over to the Seattle side for a minute – I think Seattle fans, you've got to feel good about your season. Like they were expected to be bad and they made it to the playoffs. And even going beyond that, looking to the future, obviously you've got quarterback decisions to make, but their rookie draft class is one of the best draft classes I remember. Mm -hmm. Getting two starting tackles, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, you get Kenneth Walker, who looked really good, Tariq Mm -hmm. Woolen uh, in the fifth round. So the building blocks are there for them to become a really good team. They've got draft capital. They just got to figure out what they're doing, you know, at quarterback, improve their defense. But Seattle fans, I feel like, should walk away. I mean, they were playing with house money. They probably shouldn't have made it to the playoffs to begin with. But the season that they had, I think, is incredible. And Seattle fans should have all the confidence in the world moving forward. Yeah, I think I said this either last week or the week before, but. Uh, if if people didn't hate Pete Carroll, he'd be in the coach of the year conversation for, for what he did with Seattle. And I think he displayed that for a half. And he, I, I think a big part of the reason they stayed in the game is because Pete Carroll's done a better job against Kyle Shanahan than any other coach in football. Uh, I think now he's like 10 and three and all three losses came this year. I, I thought that I heard that stat um, this, this weekend on Twitter uh, and, and it showed in the first half they kind of had an answer for everything San Fran did, and then talent won out. Uh, and I think that's kind of what happened there. But, yeah, if you're Seattle, you have to feel great. You have uh, two first-round picks, obviously, and I think the one is like six or seven, something in, in that top range. Uh, it's it's definitely a bright future for Seattle. They're trying to, it seems, from everything he said, in the in the post game, they're sticking with Gino. Uh, they're going to give Gino some sort of deal, which that'll be very interesting to see what they do there. And it'll also be very interesting to see if they're willing to pull the trigger on, on drafting a quarterback. Way back when, they gave Matt Flynn a lot of money uh, after his, he was a longtime backup in Green Bay, and then they went and drafted Russell Wilson. So it'd be interesting to see. Maybe they gave Gino a two- or a three-year deal, maybe a three-year deal where you could get out after two years in a, a bit of a Derek Carr situation. And maybe you go and draft a quarterback in the in with that second pick of the first round or maybe even that first pick of the first round. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's a game of what could have been because that, yeah, the fumble at the goal line is killer. But – I think you mostly are just happy with this season and you look forward to building next year. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about the wild game on Saturday night, the Los Angeles chargers. Wait, wait, actually, I'm sorry. Real quick. Okay. Before we get there, 
I think we should have the conversation about the 49ers quarterback. Okay. Because we were talking about that off air and I teased it a little bit. I, I think, and I think Shane thinks that my opinion is ridiculous on this. I think Shane's opinion is ridiculous that they're going to go back to Trey Lance after this. Unless something happens where Brock Purdy flames out spectacularly in the playoffs. I think have they won 12 straight now, or is it 11 straight? Whatever that 11 is, straight. 11 straight. Yeah, I, I just don't think you can make that move. I, I don't think you can bench Purdy, and I don't think it's a situation where you have to trade Lance or cut Lance or anything like that. But I think it's probably a situation where I, Jimmy G will not factor into their plans next year. I think we both agree with that. But I, I and I think we probably both agree that Purdy and Lance will both be on the team, but. I just can't see a scenario where they won't start Brock Purdy barring something crazy happening in the last game that they play. Yeah, I, I would I mean I would at least give a fair shot to Lance to be your starter going into next year. I mean if he's just horrendous in training camp and Purdy looks really good, whatever, but you can't you cannot trade three first round picks to go get a raw quarterback and then he gets hurt in the second start of his career and then you just move on from him like that's crazy to me that, that if you do that that's just horrific process in terms of trading up for that guy and having such a short leash on him that he gets hurt in his second start and you're done so i it, i i would not have made that move for lance to begin with and certainly wouldn't have made that move for Lance and then sat him for an entire year. Like I, I, it's been the, the whole process to get here has been littered with awful decisions every step of the way. Uh, now they find themselves here, but I would have to be looking at Lance. I mean, they, they went after Lance for a reason. His, his playmaking ability with his feet, like getting into that modern NFL offense, being able to design some different things. And uh, I think, I think Kyle Shanahan wanted uh, the ability to add more to the offense than what Jimmy G could give you. And does Brock Purdy do that? I don't think so. Uh, now, obviously, Brock Purdy's younger, and he's got all the confidence in the world the way he's playing right now. But this offense is still so good because of the weapons and the scheme, not because of the quarterback. And you alluded to the fact, like, the time is coming when you can't keep those weapons together. And yeah. so you can't always be throwing to all these guys that are this wide open because eventually that talent's going to start to fall off. And, and is Brock Purdy going to be able to survive and thrive in that situation? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see, I guess. But they certainly have some interesting decisions ahead of them. I just don't think that what they traded for Lance should have an impact on what decisions they make necessarily at this point. Like I think that... At that, at this point, they should just be evaluated for what the players they are, and I think I, I, I above everyone was making excuses for Lance on how he looked early in the season, and I, I think a lot of those excuses were and are still valid. But I will just say, it's sobering, and it has to be sobering to go back and watch those Lance games and compare them, even to the first games Purdy played, and compare them to what Jimmy G obviously was able to do because I do think Trey Lance was handed a near perfect situation, not in what happened. Obviously there was weather and the second game was against good defense. I can't exactly remember who, but it's, there were factors against him, but in terms of the situation he was in with the players he had and the play calling he had, 
it's hard to excuse him looking bad. And I don't think it's necessarily fair to Purdy at this point, unless things go wrong, to give Trey Lance the job because you might have made a mistake two years ago trading too much. And by the way, I think Shanahan knows it's a mistake because Shanahan has been unwilling to play Lance probably because of what he saw in practice uh, or was unwilling to play Lance last year. And even this year wasn't glowing about him in the offseason. And there were all the reports that he wanted Mac Jones and even preferred Which Fields. Which also would have been a mistake. That would have been a bigger mistake, in my opinion. Because at least Trey Lance, you're, you're moving up to swing high. You're, you're aiming to hit a home run. And if you hit it, great. And I agree that the process has been messed up. And they've probably deterred Lance from getting better in their, in their you know last two years. But I will say it's pretty incredible what they've done while blowing uh, the, a top pick like that and not having a first-rounder because of it the last couple of years and how good their roster still is, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see play out. I'm not sure there's a – well, there's definitely right and wrong answers. We just don't really know what they are yet, and the 49ers are going to have to figure that out. But they don't have to figure it out yet. Uh, they can at least gather one more game of data on Brock Purdy uh, yes. when they play uh, this next weekend against Dallas. So um, let's, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. comment coming in here. Uh, Shanahan did all he could to push Jimmy G out the door. It says he has some faith in Lance. Yeah, uh, but they kept him around, though. They, they wouldn't trade him either. And there were offers. For, uh, he, they, they, they didn't want to give him up for like a third or a fourth, so. Yeah, which uh, yeah. turned out to be a good thing when Lance got hurt until Jimmy G got hurt as well. So 49ers which, are cursed with quarterback injuries. Which, yeah, you said Purdy, is. does he bring anything that Jimmy G doesn't? No, probably not. He's probably basically Jimmy G. But the thing about Jimmy G is Jimmy G would be fine if he didn't get hurt all the time. Like, yeah. if he didn't get hurt every single year, I think Shanahan probably would have just settled with Jimmy G and never would have made the Trey Lance move but that's that's not the Jimmy G world we live in yeah okay let's roll on to the crazy Saturday night game which was the Chargers uh going to Jacksonville man this was a wild game a lot of you might have turned this off at halftime and woken up the next day to a surprise I certainly almost did um I I, I, I wanted to watch this game, and so I was watching the game on the couch with my wife, and I was like, man, when the punt went off of the Jaguars guy's helmet and the Chargers went up 27-0, to zero, I was like, all right, let's just go watch him. Let's go watch a show or something. I'm done. And so we, like, watched a sitcom show, and then I was like, you know, it's coming back from half. They scored to make it 27-7. to seven. I'll just turn it back on and see. I, I'm going to suffer through this with Doug. And man, did that turn out to be a good decision. So under two minutes to go in the half, the Jags trailed 27 to zero. I, I even, I tweeted this out at that moment. I said, I would be gutted if the Eagles playoff game goes this way. I really feel for the Jags. And of course I had to add an addendum there after the game was over saying what an <laughs> idiot, because obviously that turned out to be a very poorly timed tweet but the Jags outscored the Chargers 31 to 3 from that point to win the game four interceptions in the first half a punt going off a defender's helmet the Jags were minus five in turnover differential like they didn't even claw back into this game by forcing turnovers they literally never forced a turnover 
In the first half, Trevor Lawrence threw for 77 yards, one touchdown, and four interceptions. He was 17.7% completion percentage below expectation. In the second half, 211 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, plus 8.3% completion percentage over expectation. Like In the first half, Brandon Staley was all over the offensive game plan for the Jaguars. He was sitting on short routes the entire first half. And like, that's where you get this, the schematic things for that Brandon Staley does defensively. It was so good. He was all over it, but Doug Peterson pushed all of the right buttons. Like going, going into halftime, you know, you get the, just got to keep chipping away speech. They go for two, uh, down four after the Joey Bosa unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that fourth and one from the 41 yard line with a minute 27 remaining and he calls a timeout which virtually guarantees you don't get the ball back if you don't convert and then he converted with a flip to travis Etienne, who stays in bounds that's a coaching point it was just phenomenal coaching by doug peterson he pushed all of the right buttons i thought um going for two down four and then going for it from the 41 while brandon staley kicked field goals from the four the five and the 22 the last of which would have turned a two-score game into a two-score game, 10 points to 13. It couldn't more perfectly show the differences between those two guys. The Chargers lost 13.1% winning percentage on fourth downs, and the Jags added 24% winning percentage. You know, for me, like being a head coach, it is about consistently doing the little things right. And Staley consistently costs his team the competitive advantage from playing guys week 18 to all of these little things. Like, There's nothing wrong with being an elite defensive coordinator. And I think Brandon Staley is a very good defensive coordinator. I think the Chargers are making a mistake by retaining him. Now they fired Joe Lombardi today, so that's at least a step in the right direction. But Brandon Staley should not be the head coach of an NFL team. He sh- every team should want him as their DC, unless you've got D'Amico Ryan's, but he should not be a head coach of an NFL football team. Yeah, it, it's organizational malpractice that Sean Payton is available right now to, to come and coach your football team, and you're going to scapegoat Joe Lombardi and fire him and keep Brandon Staley around as if Joe Lombardi was the one kicking field goals from inside the five. After being Mr. Aggressive, Mr. Analytics, Mr. I have a PFF subscription in his first year, all of a sudden he's, oh, take the points, take the points. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be conservative with a lead. Uh, it reminds me of one of the dumbest coaches of all time, Matt Nagy. Uh, Matt Nagy had something on his clipboard. He had a sticker behind or whatever it was clipboard i don't know whatever he held and it said be you and he had to look at he said he looked at it every once in a while to remind himself how to coach brandon staley needs that be you sticker figure out what you are and and do it like at this point like people i I think he turtled and he had got so much pushback when he was the aggressive guy going for it on fourth and going for two, he got so much pushback in the times that it went wrong that he decided, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, cowtail to the angry mob and I'll grab my pitchfork and I'll start kicking field goals and I'll start, you know, never going for two, 
which is the wrong decision. So you got to figure out who you are and stick with it. You can't be changing who you are mid season or between your first and second season. It's he's a terrible, terrible head coach. And like, like you said, probably a very good defensive coordinator. You know, his teams consistently give up like five plus yards per carry, but I guess that's the scheme. And I guess that's the NFL we're in nowadays. And that that's fine, I guess, but he's his scheme as a defensive coordinator is certainly not enough to make up for his shortcomings as a head coach in, in that role. So you're probably right. He, he probably should never be a head coach again, to be quite honest. But we'll be talking about him next year, it appears, as a head coach of Justin Herbert and the Chargers, wasting another year. By the way, the Chargers, after going up 27-0, to zero, they had negative two rushing yards for the rest of the game. <laughs> <laughs> That's just yeah. crazy. Here's another one. Uh, teams with a plus five turnover differential in NFL history are 313 and three. Literally a one in a hundred shot to lose a game when you're plus five in turnover margin. And Brandon Staley managed to do it. Uh, real quick, I just want to say there, there's some Sean Payton slander in the chat. And Sean Payton's one of the greatest coaches of all time. Like, uh, I mean, I, I think he resurrected Drew Brees, who no one wanted. Nick Saban and the Dolphins picked Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. Drew Brees went from being you know, like the 11th or 12th best quarterback in football with the Chargers with LT and Antonio Gates to going to Sean Payton in New Orleans and immediately becoming the, a top three quarterback for the next 10 years and winning a Super Bowl. And, you know, I, I think... I don't know how many NFC championships they went to. It had to be uh, at least three or four. So I think he had plenty of success. I mean, if he if he's not a great coach, then Andy Andy Reid's not a great coach, and he's a choke artist as well, I guess. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big 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 Sean. Well, I won't say that I'm a big Sean Payton guy, but he's a good coach for sure. Yeah, I'm with you. He's not the like the best dude, I don't think, but he is definitely an incredible like an incredible coach. I, I think he's honestly, and I've said this before. This is just something now. Now it's coming up. Sean Payton, in my opinion, is the second greatest coach of my lifetime behind Belichick. I, I think I don't know who's like I, I don't even know who else is in the conversation really. Uh, but yeah, going back to this. I had Chargers um, minus one and a half uh, on a very small bet, uh, and I never felt safe. How I, like that just shows that you should never bet the Chargers in a big game, and I don't think I ever will again. If I ever on this podcast next year going forward sound like I'm leaning towards the Chargers in a playoff game, just remind me, like, hey, Mark, hey, they're the Stay Chargers, they're, <laughs> Brandon Staley, or just. The Chargers are going to charge her so hard. Uh, this, but when, when, this win I, probability graph is the most insane thing I've ever seen. When it was 27 nothing, I was at least feeling like, okay, like I think Jacksonville will probably make this a game and they'll probably get back in it, but it'll probably be too much too late. Like at that point, I was still like, the Chargers will probably win, but like, you know, it'll probably end up being close. Once it was 27 to 7. And Jacksonville was getting the ball back in the third quarter. I was like, you know, this they have they've, they've turned the ball over five times and only down twenty points, and there's a lot of time left. Like, they're the Chargers are in some trouble here. Uh, that's that's officially the moment 
that I realized they were in some trouble. And I, what, what, where did they punt from? Did they punt from the, the, the 38 or the, the 40? Where, like, wherever they punted from in Jacksonville territory, maybe my least favorite punt of the entire season this year. Yeah, just tremendous cowardly conservative play there. Um, no doubt about it. And and it cost them, and now they can go think about it for the whole offseason. And uh, obviously ownership didn't think about it hard enough because Staley should be gone. He should have been the first guy out of town. But at least Lombardi's a move in the right direction. Well, we'll see who they hire. I mean, yeah. it's it's yeah. It's how do they? How do we know that they have any? How can you trust the Chargers in any way to make a good hire when their last two coaches are Brandon Staley at head coach and Anthony Lynn, who for everything we can say about Brandon Staley, Anthony Lynn is the worst head coach I've ever seen in football, and that's the last guy. That this GM that's and not, that's not true. Urban Meyer was a coach. Last yeah, that's year. fair. I don't even <laughs> count him. He was not. He wasn't. He was kicking kickers, and you know, I won't even say what. It's a, it's a PG show, but okay. Let's move on to the Sunday games. Miami at Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo wins, but it was close, thirty-four to thirty-one. Uh, the Bills are third in the NFL in turnovers right now, despite only playing sixteen regular season games. Like. They turned it over three times Sunday, and they almost let the Dolphins win with their third-string quarterback. This was the Bills' third straight game with three-plus turnovers. Josh Allen threw two interceptions. He fumbled three times. He only lost one. As much as the Bills tried to give that game away, the Dolphins just wouldn't take it. They had four false starts, including one on the final drive to put him behind the sticks. Goes to a first and fifteen. Four plays later, they have a fourth and one, and they don't get the play in. They took a delay of game on a fourth and one. Uh, Mike McDaniel said after the game he thought they got the first down, but you just can't make that mistake, much less make it in a playoff game. Per True Media, Miami took an average of 42.4 real-time seconds between plays this year, which was the third highest margin or third highest mark in the NFL. They also had the third most delay of games. So. There's criticism to be leveled at Mike McDaniel for his clock management. Overall, though, with a third-string rookie quarterback, you compete with the Bills in a playoff game. Uh, You deserve your flowers for that. And I'm not going to sit on here and disparage Mike McDaniel too much. Uh, You never manage a clock before you become a head coach. And so he's a first-year head coach. It took Andy Reid a decade to get down clock management. You could argue he still doesn't have it down at times. So uh, I won't kill the guy for that in his first year, but that's a mistake they have to move uh, move on from and learn on. Uh, on the Bills' side, though, Josh Allen. I don't know what you see when you watch Josh Allen, but I see him going down the hero ball path. Circa Carson Wentz. Now, it's not as detrimental as Carson Wentz, who just completely lost his mind. But for whatever reason, Josh Allen is playing hero ball. He feels like every play he makes has to be an explosive play. He's not letting plays die. He's not taking his check downs. Mark, do you know what his average depth of target was in this game? I do not. 16 yards. He had an average depth of target of 16 yards. The NFL average is like seven. Like, (laughs) it's insane. Every throw. He never saw a bomb that he didn't want to throw. And so, for the Bills... 
they had a lot of margin to beat the Dolphins, and they barely squeaked by. They will get blown out by the Cincinnati Bengals if Josh Allen does not rein this in. And I don't know how you get him to do that. I don't know why he feels like he's having to play that way right now. But Josh Allen, if the Bills lose next weekend, there's a pretty good chance Josh Allen is the reason why. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how you feel great about a Bills team that beat a team by three points when that team had a quarterback who went 18 for 45 <laughs> for less than five yards per attempt. And then you take on the, and you say, oh, well, if they put up 31 points and if they were only 18 for 45 for 220 yards passing, they must have been able to run the ball, right? No, absolutely not. Miami didn't run the ball at all. 10 carries for 23 yards. For most, they couldn't get anything going on the ground. And they scored 31 points because of short fields and because of Josh Allen uh, making mistakes. And, uh, you know, he, you, like you said, you can get away with that against Skylar Thompson. And you almost couldn't, but, but you did this time. You got away with it against Skylar Thompson. You will not get away with that against Joe Burrow. You will not get away with that against Patrick Mahomes. So uh, you, you, you won't get away with that against you know, the 49ers, if they get there, you won't get away with that against Jalen Hurts. Um, so even the Cowboys probably. So I, I, I'm starting to think that the Bills are very much not in that top tier uh, of teams that I expect to be in the Super Bowl. I, I There are five points. We're going to talk a little bit about their game against the Bengals. And they got a couple breaks with some injuries for the Bengals. But I, I don't know how you feel great about what the bills did on Saturday or was that that was Sunday Sunday you know what Skylar Thompson's EPA per play was what was it negative 0.17 you know what Josh Allen's was what was it negative 0.21 Josh Allen's EPA per play was worse than Skylar Thompson's in this game which shows by the way how incredible the job McDaniel did in this game to to milk the amount of points he could out of Skylar Thompson, uh, even if he went 18 for 45, even if he was negative on EPA. I I think that McDaniel should get a ton of credit. And even though the the press conference was a little bit clunky, um, and how he kind of <laughs> I love McDaniel, but when he loses, um, especially like a close playoff game. It, it does start to be like, oh, man, people are not going to love this as much anymore. But um, he, I think he said something like, uh, you know, generally you do have a higher chance to convert fourth and one than fourth and six. But, you know, it's all relative. Like, he's, it's something like that. It's like, all right, like, that's, <laughs> let's not brush over that. Like, that's not necessarily the right thing to say here. No, no. Okay, well, I, I want to talk about another coach's press conference, uh, and, and that is from the Giants-Vikings game. So the Giants win this game 31-24. to uh, First thing is, the Giants were never supposed to be here. Like Their roster is bad. This was supposed to be the rebuilding year. I can't remember the quote, and I couldn't go find it, but I feel like I remember Brian Dable even saying something about, like, the roster wasn't very good early, like, before, in training camp. So... This was not their expectation. And here they are not only in the playoffs, but they're winning a road playoff game. And so uh, kudos to them. That's an impressive performance. Daniel Jones played the best game of his career. He was 24-35 for 301 yards, two touchdowns. 
he had 17 carries for 78 yards. Now, granted, it was against the 25th ranked defense in EPA per dropback, the 27th ranked defense in defensive DVOA. So this is not a good defense. The Vikings, they had won 11 games. They were 11 and 0 in one score games. Uh, I, I do not remember where I saw this. I saw a clip of somebody saying this on Twitter, and so I can't source it. I can't credit it, but it's not my own. But they're saying it'd be like going to a casino, and you put all your money uh, at the roulette table on red eleven times in a row, and you keep winning. Like the hotel will not kick you out. They will comp your room to get you to stay because they know that your luck will run out, and they want their money back. And the Vikings' luck finally ran out. Um, uh, in week 16, when these teams matched up, Justin Jefferson had 12 catches for 133 yards and a touchdown. He had six for 43 at halftime in this mm-hmm. game, and they held him to one catch for four yards in the second half. Like Kirk Cousins turned to TJ Hawkinson, who had a good game, 10 for 129 yards, but he also checked it down to him for two yards on fourth and eight to end the game. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, after the game, said this, quote, The intent is a play caller. You're not going to call a primary concept or it's short of the sticks to gain. Looking back on it, maybe I could have been more clear and said, hey, this is where you want the ball to be, end quote. Like, this is a first-year head coach talking about a 35-year-old veteran quarterback. They're paying $40 million a year saying, Kirk Cousins yeah. is 35? I think so. It's that 30- makes me feel like a million years old. <laughs> Don't tell me that's true. I, hold on, and I, now you got me. Say, okay, he's thirty-four. Well, there we still, go. It's oh, he's I'm thirty-four. That's still wow. I I would have guessed like twenty-nine, even though that's so stupid. Because I know he's been in the league forever now. But so it, like, I just I still remember Michigan State. I'm sorry, I'll let you continue. Oh, that no, that like, shocked me. If Kyle Shanahan is saying that about Brock Purdy after a game, a rookie. I should have told him that we want to push the ball to this guy downfield. That makes sense, maybe. You're talking about a 34-year-old vet. Like, man, Kirk Cousins. It, that's just brutal. And so, obviously, they lose the game. Uh, Dexter Lawrence just wrecked this game. Mm-hmm. He had eight pressures, which is the most by a defensive tackle in a postseason game in the next-gen stats era. Uh Fun fact, he has 29 pressures from nose tackle this season, which leads the NFL. What do you think second place has? I have no idea. Eight. He has 29. Second place has eight. How many teams are, how how many nose tackles are there in the league? Yeah, well, that's a whole separate thing. I'm not sure what the nose tackle snap rate is. I know he takes a ton of snaps at nose tackle. But he's finding tremendous amounts of pressure there. Isaiah Hodgins, who was signed off the Bills practice squad in November, had eight catches for 105 yards. Like This Giants team, is, their roster is not the meme that it's been made out to be. I'm not saying they're on the tier of any team that's left in the playoffs. Uh, but they've got some pieces. And it's going to be – and we'll get into a preview, but it's going to be interesting to see how they match up with the Eagles. Yeah. I, it's tough for me to talk about because I guess I'm just wrong on this Giants team. But for everything that everyone said about the Vikings, the Giants had all the same one-score luck this year. Like, I think eight of their nine wins were one-score games. The Giants had a minus point differential, too, at minus six. But they have Brian Dable. And while Kevin O'Connell's done a good job this year um, and really turned them around, 
Brian Dable, I think, is already like a top five to seven coach in football. Um, I, I think what he's done with Daniel Jones is maybe the most impressive quarterback reclamation project I've ever seen in the history of football. Um, I, I did not think Daniel Jones had this capability in him whatsoever over the last couple of weeks. And I'm still, to be quite honest, a little skeptical that this is something we'll see consistently from him. But the fact that he was able to coax this out of him at all with the weapons that they have is nothing short of incredible. Um, I think the Eagles should win against the Giants, and we're going to talk more about that game. But I'm starting to think that the Giants are a lot better than I gave them credit for, mainly because I think Jones is better than I gave him credit for, and because I think that front four and that defensive line is is problematic for anybody, even a team with as good as an offensive line as the Eagles have. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the Sunday night game, Baltimore at Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati won 24-17. They only put up 234 yards of offense in this game. Uh, they had a 14-play, 54-yard field goal drive to open the game, a 10-play, 60-yard drive for a touchdown on their second drive, and then to open the second half, they had a 12-play, 83-yard drive to score uh, again. Outside of that, they had four drives for 33 yards. Uh, they had a fumble six on a QB sneak that obviously proved to be the difference in the game. It's tied 17-17. Uh, they went for the QB sneak. It, it was four, It was on the one-yard line, but it was like the 1.9-yard line, to be honest. And Tyler Huntley tried to reach for the end zone, and he didn't even get close. Per next-gen stats tracking data, uh, he was over a half a yard away. He's like 20 inches away. He did, the closest the ball got to the end zone was like 20 inches. So you don't, you should not be reaching out. But Sam Hubbard scoops that, scores. That swung from a 43% win probability for Cincinnati to an 89%. That was a 46% win percentage swing. Uh, and then, of course, we could get into the clock management from Baltimore. It was awful. They still had a chance to tie the game. They're driving. They got two timeouts, a minute 17 left. <laughs> J.K. Dobbins gets 11 yards to the 17-yard line, and the Ravens didn't call a timeout. They didn't go tempo. They huddled, and they did not snap the ball until there were 34 seconds left again. And then they got a penalty on a running play, no less which pushed them backwards, and now you're in a situation you have to rely on Huntley's arm to win, and they couldn't get it done. So just <laughs> egregiously awful clock management by Harbaugh there. Um, and Cincinnati wins the game. The big blow for Cincinnati in this one is Jonah Williams leaving the game with a knee injury. Uh, it was later said it was a dislocated kneecap, and he's weak to weak. So they're now down multiple offensive line, and they're about to face off with the Bills' pass rush. So... We'll get into that in a minute, but again, chinks in the armor for all these teams. Now, I do think this is the toughest defensive matchup for the Bengals. Coming into this game, mm-hmm. two of Joe Burrow's three worst EPA performances had come against the Ravens, and so they got that monkey off their back, barely. Uh, I do think this is the worst matchup for them, and so they're going to have an easier matchup, I think, with the Bills. I even think the Chiefs... Not that, the, not that the Chiefs are an easier team to beat, but their defense is not going to give this Bengals mm-hmm. offense the type of problems that the Ravens did. But you did see the chinks in the armor here for the Bengals offense. Yeah, I, I, we'll get to the Ravens in a second. The one weird thing, and I'm a Joe Burrow guy, and I think I'd take him over Allen, and I'd probably say he's the second-best quarterback in the NFL. 
he's weirdly never had like a signature great NFL playoff game. Like it's weird to say because he went on a run to the Super Bowl last year. You look at his game log in the postseason. There's not one on there that'll knock your socks off. And yeah, you remember and you think back. It's like, wow, he was so good in that Titans game. The stats don't bear it out as much as I remember he was great. But he's he's got six touchdowns in five playoff games, which is just a, a weird stat you wouldn't expect because you know he he had six touchdowns in two game stretches. Uh, in, in certain points of the regular season. So six touchdowns in five games. Just a little weird that it's been the Bengals' defense way more than it's been the Bengals' offense um, in, in terms of their playoff success last year and this win this year. And honestly, Bengals if Bengals fans hear that and Joe Burrow people hear that, they're going to think I'm being negative. I actually think that it's a good thing that it shows that this team can win in a lot of different ways. And this team's defense is able to help them win games just as much as their offense is. And you have to imagine that Joe Burrow will eventually just win you games on his own. So I think knowing that you have that defense on the other side and knowing that no one wants to interview Lou Anarumo, so you're going to have that defense for a long time. I think it's, it's a, the, the Bengals, regardless of the offensive line injuries, are extremely dangerous because I think they're extremely well-rounded everywhere else. And they already showed last year that they do it with offensive line issues. And they, they went on a run while Joe Burrow was getting sacked seven times per game um, in the playoffs. So um, I, I don't think that their offensive line this year will be a much bigger problem than it was last year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, moving. Before we move on, I think we should talk about Baltimore. Okay. I do think we should talk about Lamar. I feel like it's the the biggest story in the sport right now, to be quite honest, uh, judging off of the podcasts I, I listen to and everything I read on Twitter. It seems like, I guess before we talk about it, what is your opinion on the Lamar situation and on, uh, I, I kind of think you're going to come in in the same spot I am and, and, I'm just curious to hear it from you. What's your position on Lamar not playing? And uh, is he kind of holding out because of the contract or is it unrelated? And then what's your opinion on him not being at the game? Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with the injury. Um, It went from a day to day to days to weeks to by the end of the season to, I don't know timeline, which is strange. Um, he took to Twitter and talked about the swelling in his knee. Uh, it, it feels like Harbaugh is not defending him or setting the record straight in the way that he should uh, if everything was fine there. Then you got like Sammy Watkins throwing him under the bus, which is rich coming from Sammy Watkins, who has like never played a full healthy season in his entire NFL career. That guy's in a cult, literally. Yeah. So uh, he's every everything he sh- everything he says should be taken lately and and then you've got marlon humphrey said that like he's like i don't even know if i'm supposed to be saying this but like lamar's limping around the practice facility like every day like so he marlon humphrey kind of basically stood up for him and said i mean he's limping visibly at practice so i don't know where it all comes with that if it's a if if there is any question in lamar's mind that he is healthy and ready to go he should not play Yep. We saw RG3 play 
we saw RG3's coach, Mike Shanahan, not put the player first, and we saw RG3's career end. I don't know if he is getting pressure from Harbaugh to get out there before he's ready. If he is, he should absolutely be digging his heels in and put himself first, put his career first, because the Ravens have not signed him. The Ravens are not willing to commit to you. So if you're not ready to go, then you don't go. And if it's a contract thing, like if he's fully healthy, 100%, and it's a contract thing, I, I would probably feel differently about that because that's not how you conduct business with that. You do that in training camp. You do it next year. You don't do it. You don't hold out of a playoff game like that. But I don't think that's what's going on here. And it doesn't see, I mean, what Marlon Humphrey said, I don't know why he would lie about that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it would be unprecedented for a guy to be lying about an injury like this. Like, if you were going to make it a contract thing, you would just say, I'm not playing because you won't pay me, right? So I don't think he's making this up. Uh, as far as not going to the game, if what he said on Twitter about swelling is true, like fl- you're not supposed to fly, like flying helps with messes with swelling. I don't know. That's a little weird. Maybe you drive there. It's a long drive. I don't know on that part of it. Um, it is weird to me. He wasn't there. And I, I do not think, I do not think Lamar Jackson will be a Raven next year. I just don't yeah. I think they're, I think they're done. Uh, I would refuse to play for them on a franchise tag. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you, they've had enough time to support Lamar, to put any kind of weapons around him. They've had ample opportunities to commit to him financially, and they've done none of those. And so, for me, if they tag me, I would just say I am not. I, I will sign the tag, so you can. Because if you don't sign the tag, you can't be traded. I will sign the franchise tag. I will not practice or play in a game on the franchise tag. So I'll negotiate in good faith. We can work out a long-term deal. Uh, if barring that happening, you're going to trade me or I'm going to sit out this entire season because I'm not going to play on a franchise tag. Yeah, I totally 1000% agree. I'm generally not always saying people should push their way out and yada, yada, yada. If anyone has ever had the right to push their way out, it's Lamar Jackson. He's never been given an NFL wide receiver. Uh, And that's a bit that's a bit of hyperbole, but Hollywood Brown and Rashad Bateman are the two best receivers he's ever played with. So I think, I think that says a lot about how Baltimore has supported Lamar. And I think now that he's had this situation and the way that the front office and coaching staff has seemingly thrown him under the bus, um, I, I don't think he should play another down for that team at all. Uh, It's absolutely shameful how they've handled this situation. And also, uh, you mentioned the time management with, with Harbaugh, and Harbaugh in the in his press conference basically said, "Oh, well, you don't know ball. So if you don't, if you think what we did was wrong in terms of not calling the timeout, you just don't understand football. So it, it's really not important for what your opinion is." It was like basically what he said to the reporter. So um, glad he's feeling secure. Uh, um, uh, the Harbaugh family. I, I went from being like pro John Harbaugh, even though I hated Jim Harbaugh for a long time to over the last couple of years, it seems like he's very much just like the same guy as his brother, but like hit it a little bit more earlier on in his career. And now it's just kind of older and crotchetier and that, that interview. Oh, by the, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. Did you see the interview he had with the sideline reporter? No, I, I don't guess I did. 
Oh my God. That might honestly, Shane, it might be worth pulling up on Twitter and watching it live uh, on the podcast. I, I, I'm going to try to find it. Maybe we move on and I'll find it and DM it to you and we can play it live. I, okay. I think it's worth it. It's that, it's that good. Okay. I, yeah, uh, the other thing, it's, so it's coming out now that apparently the Ravens are intending to use the non-exclusive franchise tag on Lamar, which basically lets him go negotiate a contract as a free agent with other teams, and then the Ravens get the chance to uh, match that contract, and he has to sign it with the Ravens, and if they choose not to match it, then the team that he signs with gives them two first-round picks. I also think that's ridiculous. Like, if you're willing to pay Lamar what he's going to get paid on an open market, just pay it to him. Like, it would have been cheaper to negotiate that deal this offseason than to do this. Secondly, if you're not going to pay it, you could trade him for more than two first-round picks easily. So that would just be a totally awful move if the Ravens do that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I just sent you the clip. It's 30 seconds long. It is. Oh my God! If if it's one of the more awkward sports interviews I've ever seen in my life. Okay, here we go. Let me share it. And, and this is right after an interception from Huntley. Okay. One eight. Next one. Yes. And Tyler Huntley with that interception. You said we might see Anthony Brown. What will that take? We'll just see how the game goes. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, John. Oh, I, I Thank you, John Harbaugh, trying to win a road. Oh, yeah, he, 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 there was a question before that where they they uh, they asked about penalties, and he's like, "Yeah, can't commit penalties." Like it was just not. And then at that point, she asked about uh, what it would take for the backup to come in, and he goes, "Ah, but we see how the game goes." <laughs> it was just like, man, he really hung her out the dry i will say though let's just stop yeah with the whole 100%. in middle of the quarter interviews those are absurd so i'm all i'm all for getting rid of those yeah i agree no need to be like mean to someone right, I guess right. Is my my thing about it yeah no yeah. no excuse to be mean to someone that's trying to do their job but yeah nfl yeah. let's let's stop this yeah so. i agree all right, Sunday night or Monday night football, Dallas just murders the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 31-14. Uh, Dak diced up the Bucks defense. He went 25-33 for 305 yards and four touchdowns. Best game he's played in a long time. The funniest story of this game was kicker Brett Maher missing four consecutive Ooh. extra points in this game. Mark, this guy was 50-53 of 53 on extra points during the season. Like, I don't know what in the world was going on, but uh, it didn't impact the game, obviously, because it was a blowout. Uh, the Bucks, they're just a bad football team that is poorly coached, and they are poorly quarterbacked. Tom Brady looked awful last night. That intercept, it, early in the game, before it turned into the blowout it was, that interception he threw in the end zone was just horrendous. Um, mm -hmm. So, awful game from the Bucks. Parsons finished with 10 pressures and a sack in this one he kind of wrecked this game up front but i really don't have a lot to say about this game other than the cowboys offense looked really good if dak plays at that level next week they have every shot in the world to go beat the 49ers yeah dallas looks scary in this game and i think 
what we've seen now with Dallas is I think more than any other team in the league, I think they have the I think they have the widest variance mm-hmm. in the NFL. I think they can look the I think they can look like the best team in the NFL. And I think they can look like a team that can win the Super Bowl at times. And then there's games like the game against Houston, like the game against Washington, and even at times, especially on defense, like the game against Minshew, where we saw them get absolutely torched by Minshew at times, who then showed up the next week and basically put up a nothing burger against the Saints. So I I think that Dallas has shown the ability to, to play these types of games where they, you know, they show up and you say, man, this team doesn't belong here and this team stinks. But then they, they beat the Vikings 40 to three. They show up here and they, they smash the Buccaneers, which is what you're supposed to do when you, uh, you know, you get to face the team that won the crappy division at eight and nine, they, they handled their business and, and they got up early and they didn't look back and, and, you know, all credit to Dallas. I thought their play calling on offense, Kellen Moore, a lot of people uh, are very negative on Kellen Moore. I saw he was getting an interview and Cowboys fans were like begging the team to hire him and kind of the same way we saw with some of the Gannon stuff on Twitter with some of the dumb sections of Eagles Twitter. I, I saw, I apparently there was a lot of that with Cowboys fans. I guess they hate Kellen Moore and they think he's an idiot. And they think he's a bad play caller. I thought the play designs and the play calling for Dallas in this game were spot on. I thought that that, uh, that bootleg by Dak on the goal line, that was excellent. You know, they didn't have any answer for that whatsoever. Um, you know, I, I thought that Dak played the best game he's played all year long. Um, th- this is the type of game where you look at Dallas and you say, man, they absolutely can win a Super Bowl if they string four games together like that. Yeah, uh, Kellen Moore is a very good offensive play caller, in my opinion. He's a good I agree. designer, and Cowboys fans would be foolish to be rooting for him to be poached away somewhere else. And also, yeah, you're right. Like, If Dak plays at that level for three more games, I would consider the Cowboys a favorite to win the Super Bowl. I mean, at least to get there. I think they uh, playing at the level they played against the Buccaneers, and it's the Buccaneers, but mm-hmm. playing at that level – they outclass every other team in the NFC. The problem, like you said, is they're just so hit or miss. They haven't played at that level consistently. And uh, if they haven't done it yet, I don't know that you should expect that, but it's certainly something in the back of your mind. All things considered, I'm very happy the Eagles uh, get the Giants this weekend. Yeah, definitely in retrospect now, even more than uh, before, it it looks like we really lucked out there. Um, But you absolutely know that, their kicker's going to cost them their season now. It's yeah. Now that they're in this position, and, and I've heard a lot of people like yelling at anyone who suggests that he should be cut and they should go and get a new kicker. If if I'm, I don't even know what the right decision is there and what I would do. And I, Are you even allowed to go sign a kicker and cut you him? Can like, sign, you can sign free agents. And they can just be active on Sunday? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So they, I... I don't know if that's the right answer, to be quite honest. But I will say, if if we're at this time next week talking about Dallas being down 24 to 23 at the end of the Niners game, and they had to send out someone for a 40-yarder and he misses, like, we're going to make fun of them. Because if at this point, after a guy misses four extra points, if he ends up costing you a different playoff game, 
you're going to feel like the dumbest idiot on the planet for not simply cutting him. Uh, but it's, it's definitely interesting. That's probably not fair, but it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I'm trying to think about what to compare it to, but you know, you don't want to bet against, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes because you won't feel stupid betting on Patrick Mahomes, but you will feel stupid betting against him. It's like, you won't feel stupid bringing in a new kicker. And then if he messes up, I, I don't think you'll feel as stupid. But if this guy, after unprecedentedly missing four extra points, costs you another game, it feels like that's on you at that point. Yeah, I mean, I would keep him. He's been good all year. But I would definitely want to figure out what was going wrong uh, down in Tampa. I think the yips are a thing. I, I don't know. Like, if maybe I was Tom, a Cowboys maybe fan, Tom I'd Brady be terrified. doctored the footballs again. What's up? I said maybe Tom Brady doctored the footballs again. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a real though, you know, it's a real Ray Finkel situation for the Ace Ventura fans out there. Like, I I think there's a, I think there's been a lot of kickers. Like, I think Mason Crosby lost it really fast. Vanderjack, uh, back in the day was really good until he wasn't. Janikowski lost it really fast. I think kicker is one of those things where it kind of goes fast sometimes, and the yips can really mess a career up. You, I mean, he made a kick after the four, but. I, if I was a Cowboys fan, I'd be absolutely terrified. Yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't make you feel good. That's for sure. Thankfully, I'm not a, I'm not a darn Cowboys fan though. Truth sounded, that was gross. Just coming out of my mouth. <laughs> All right. Well, let's turn the page to the divisional round. We'll do a quick preview of each of the four games in the divisional round. The first one is going to be uh, the Saturday afternoon game. It's Jacksonville at Kansas city, Andy Reed versus Doug Peterson. Uh, when they met in the regular season, Mahomes threw for 331 yards and four touchdowns with one interception as the Chiefs built a 20-0 lead, but the Jags tried to come back in that one too. Uh, they ultimately never got closer than 10, but Lawrence threw for 259 and two touchdowns. Uh, I don't think that the Jags can win. I mean, not. I won't say they can't win this game. I don't think the Jags will win this game. They just had a big emotional win. Uh, in week 18 to get into the playoffs over a division rival. They had a big emotional comeback last week. Like It's kind of easy to circle this as a letdown game, but I will never count out a Doug Peterson game, especially when he's an underdog in the postseason, where he's like 5-1 and one as a postseason underdog. So, uh, But ultimately, you just trust the Chiefs quarterback and you trust the playmakers in that offense more than you trust the Jags quarterback and his playmakers. I'll take the Chiefs in this one. Yeah, thanks for coming, Jacksonville. Uh, it was a fun story, but yeah, I, I definitely think this is uh, one of those situations where I, I I feel like a lot of people watch Wild Card Weekend and start to overrate the teams and say like, oh, one of these teams is getting hot and going to win the Super Bowl and, and overlook the bye teams. I kind of had the opposite reaction where after watching way too close of games with the Bills and the Bengals and the 49ers, I, I kind of more and more feel like the Eagles and the Chiefs should be cons- convincing favorites uh, to, to get to the Super Bowl, considering the fact that they're, you know, the Cowboys and the Niners were probably the two of the top three, and the Bengals and Bills are two of the top three. The Eagles and the Chiefs are avoiding that. They got to avoid playing a week. Like, I- I'm walking out of this week saying, like, it's the Chiefs' Super Bowl to lose, to be quite honest. So um, I-, I think that. They get the luck of the draw here, like you said, with all of the emotional 
you know, lingering hangover possibilities for Jacksonville, it's hard for it's hard to just imagine that run to continue. And if they get down early like that again, it just I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to turtle into a shell uh, like like the Chargers did. So, um, yeah, the, the line's eight and a half here. I don't think I'd bet that Kansas City's really bad at covering big spreads. <laughs> they've they've shown that they will win by about a point or two uh, less than the spread, but I think that they win, and I, I think that they'll probably get up early and handle the game. All right, so then let's talk uh, the night game, which is the Giants at the Eagles. Um, I've got a question for you, a, a conspiracy theory, if you will, that I'm going to pitch mm. to you here. Mm. think back to doug peterson being in philadelphia yes and what was the update the injury update he would always give he would say a guy was day to day right Mm -hmm. and then he would miss six weeks did you see that was like the kiss of death for an eagles player to be called day to day by doug peterson And, and you think back to last year and earlier this year as guys have gotten hurt there's just no information ever given by the coaching staff about these injuries now all of a sudden you have Jalen Hurts injury and you have Jalen Hurts saying to the media it's a good thing there was a bye week indicating that like he might have been really struggling to play this week uh, Sirianni saying after the game in week 18 that uh, Hurts was in a whole lot of pain during the game like why are they being so forthcoming about injuries about the most important player in their franchise when they literally never talk about injuries like yeah I'm not by any stretch of the imagination insinuating that Hertz didn't get hurt in the Chicago game because he absolutely did. But I do wonder if they are overplaying this injury thing and it's really not that bad. Uh, and there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on right now. So I don't know. I'm not saying that's what's going on, but I just find it <laughs> odd that all of a sudden the, the Eagles are talking so much about this injury and they're being so forthcoming. Yeah, it is bizarre that they are just continuously talking about this. Um, I, I kind of am on the exact same wavelength as you there. Uh, Lane Johnson said on McAfee that he's feeling good. He's going to play. Um, so, you know, uh, it feels like, you know, things are pointing in the right direction. Um, I, I, I haven't seen an update on Avante. I'm assuming he's just he's not playing. Um, but outside of that, things are looking good. Uh, they're, I think, an eight point favorite right now against the Giants another spread that's probably just a bit too big. Um, probably wouldn't take that at that. But um, I know this isn't a gambling show, but I will just say a couple player props uh, that I would take a look at here. As always, Jalen Hurts, anytime touchdown scored or get a rushing touchdown, is the best value bet in sports. Uh, it's he scored. He is always more likely to score a rushing touchdown than he's not. Boston Scott owns the New York Giants. I forget, What is the number? It's like 13 touchdowns, 10 against the Giants, or... So yeah, he's eight, got, he has something 17 crazy. career touchdowns and 10 of them are against the Giants. Yeah, yeah, that's so you you're almost obligated to bet Boston Scott at like plus 360 to to score a touchdown. And then my my person those are ones that I bet or a lot of people bet when Boston Scott plays the Giants every time. This is my little nugget. Uh you mentioned Hawkinson. I believe he had 10 for 126 and a touchdown against the Giants. Watch out for Dallas Goddard, a very similar player and very similar routes that he runs to TJ Hawkinson. So um, occupies kind of the same space in the field. Uh, I think Dallas Goddard as, I mean, 
Sirianni and, and the Eagles staff apparently chilled out watching watching the game with some Pizza Hut. So I hope that they noticed, you know, all right, let's get Dallas Goddard involved. And I think I'm going to take his over and four and a half catches. I'm going to take his anytime touchdown. And I'll probably take his over on reception yards when that uh, gets released. But um, I, I think Dallas Goddard is a big time X factor in this matchup. Yeah, for sure. The, the linebackers for the Giants are really bad. So it should be a big Goddard game. Uh, the caveat to that, I, I'm curious to see how they play defensively. Like Wink Martindale is known for being like the just man cover one, cover zero blitz sort of mm-hmm. guy. And that's changed a little bit. Uh, week one through 14, they ranked second in man coverage rate, first in blitz rate. Week 15 through 17, it went to 13th man coverage rate, 15th blitz rate. Against the Vikings, they only blitzed on like seven snaps. And so, uh, obviously different offense, different team they were playing, all of that. But you could make an argument that they would be better served to play more of a zone coverage type approach. They were bracketing Justin Jefferson, which had really good results. So, you know, if I was them, I'm not sure that I wouldn't put Adora Jackson on uh, Devonta Smith and then bracket A.J. Brown. That might give you a better chance. But given the uncertainty about Hurts and about his injury, I, I do think they're going to blitz a lot. They're going to try to get home. They're going to try to hit Hurts. They're going to try to disrupt that. But this is a more healthy team than who they play, who the Eagles blew out in Week 14. They have Adora Jackson, Xavier McKinney, Leonard Williams. They're all back, and these are all guys that they were missing in that Week 14 game. So, you know, you look at this roster, you look at the rosters, and there is no position group that the Giants have the advantage besides running back. But there's also concerns about what they do defensively. You've got Dexter Lawrence on Jason Kelsey, who struggles with bigger guys. Uh, you've got their blitz happiness, which really hurts the Eagles' offense. So there's some concerns. There's health concerns. I mean, Lane Johnson might think he's fine, and Lane Johnson might play one snap and go, all right, sorry, I, I can't do it. Like, I can't play. And, you know, Jalen Hurts might land on that shoulder wrong. So there's lots of lots of things to this game, lots of layers to this game. But the Eagles should win this game. The Eagles are clearly the better team. The Bills were clearly a better team than the Dolphins. And – they won by three. The Bengals were clearly the better team than the Ravens, and it took a fumble six that went 98 yards on a QB sneak to win that game. So strange stuff happens in January. There are no easy games in January, and there's certainly no easy divisional rematches uh, in January. So the Eagles are going to have to be on their A game. I think it's going to be a grinded-out sort of game, uh, but I do expect the Eagles to win this one. Yeah, uh, they better. Um, This is... (laughs) I said, we were talking off air, and I've said this a lot on Twitter and to everyone, but this is quite obviously the best possible scenario for the Eagles in terms of drawing the Giants instead of the Cowboys in the second round. And if you would have told us before the year or even last week that we get Daniel Jones in the second round to get to the NFC Championship, I think we're taking that 10 out of 10 times. The Giants are the team that I hate the most in professional sports. That is, you know, above the Celtics, above any baseball teams, above even the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, They are the team that I hate the most above the Cowboys because I hate their fans very much. I think New York fans are the worst in sports. But the New York Giants beating 
the Philadelphia Eagles in a year that I have Super Bowl aspirations, I think this would go down as the most painful loss I've had as an Eagles fan. Uh, it's I, I this would be a soul crushing loss uh, as as an Eagles fan for me personally. Um, and it's funny because with the Phillies, with the Sixers, I'm able to easily point without even thinking about it to the loss that crushed me the most, like the the worst loss that I can remember as a fan for those teams. With the Eagles, I weirdly don't have that one that sticks out, that sticks in my craw as that worst loss that I can remember that crushed me the most. This would be that game. Yeah, yeah, it would be devastating, especially if you get like a Giants-Cowboys-NFC title game. Oh. That would just be disgusting to have to watch. Oh, well, actually, real quick, what when I said that, what popped in your head? What's your what's your like the the worst loss of your lifetime as an Eagles fan? I was um, thinking the the Arizona NFC title game, like that's the one that I was the most upset by because it felt like we were so close, and then Larry Fitzgerald just we couldn't cover him. But like I, I, I we weren't even that good that year, so yeah, I, it's I don't have that one. I guess a lot of people would say the Alshon drop. Yeah, I mean. People people love to say that they would have won that game. Yeah, it's like I mean they still had had to score a touchdown. It wasn't yep. like that drop was in the end zone. So exactly. But yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'd have to think about what the most disappointing loss for me was. Um, especially, I don't have as long of a history as a lot of people do as being an yeah. Eagles fan either. I, I mean, I, I liked the Eagles, but I was much bigger into college football for a long time and just kind of passingly watched the Eagles. So yeah. Uh, I was a kid for the for the the Bucks and Panthers and Rams NFC title games. Like, I kind of remember everything Super Bowl year on. That's like my my bank. Like, I kind of remember the NFC championships just knowing about them. But like, my football watching life was basically that Super Bowl year on. Uh, so yeah, I, the Super Bowl, the first one, I guess, is a tough loss. But it, yeah, I, I I don't have that that one like the Sixers. Game five against the Hawks, pretty easy one that I can think of right away. The Phillies, uh, you know, the game five against the Cardinals. So that's really easy. The Eagles, I don't want to be able to easily point out divisional round 2023 against Daniel freaking Jones. Uh, I really don't want Daniel Jones to be the guy that it, that ends uh, the, the Eagles season after years, years of me uh, talking crap about him. Yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the Sunday division, or yeah, divisional. That's the right word. Uh, games here: Cincinnati at Buffalo. Uh, the Bills' O line is better than the Bengals' O line when it's fully healthy, mm-hmm. and the Bengals aren't close to fully healthy. Left tackle Jonah Williams is out with a dislocated kneecap. Uh, right tackle Lyle Collins is out with a knee injury. Right guard Alex Kappa is out with an injured ankle. So the Bills should be able to generate pressure on Burrow. Now. Burrow had a lot of pressure generated on him last year in the playoffs, and it didn't seem to matter. So, you know, we'll see. I think the Bills should be watching the Ravens tape. The Ravens were trying to disguise what they did all the time in that game. They were creating chaos, and Buffalo just doesn't do that. They they kind of play their shells, and they try to just out-execute you. And I think they should change that for this game, which isn't necessarily the easiest thing to do to change your identity. But um, I will say, you know, and we talked about this earlier, but – Josh Allen has a lot better chance to implode in this game than Joe Burrow does. 
And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm taking the Bengals in this game because at this point I just don't trust Josh Allen anymore. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I, and I, you know, the Bengals are five five and a half point underdog here, and I understand the the worries about the offensive line. But like I said, those same worries existed last year, and they they beat the Chiefs on the road and went to the Super Bowl. So I don't see any reason that they can't do the same here. Also, this game should be on a neutral field. Um, it's absolutely ridiculous that they are going to Buffalo to play this game after they were up 7-3 driving with a chance to make this game in Cincinnati. Um, and obviously a terrible thing that transcends sports. But if you're going to put in something for the Bills where they get a neutral site game against Kansas City, I understand why Cincy doesn't get one against Kansas City, but I think it would have at least been fair to, to have given neutral site in this game as well for Cincy's purposes. But that's sour grapes on my behalf as someone with a large Bengals to win the AFC future. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that's still going to be alive after this week because I do think I do think the Bengals are going to get them here. I agree. I agree. And even even with the offensive line concerns, I just I hate everything about the way that the Bills have played the last two weeks. And I think it got slept on two weeks ago against the Patriots um, because they had the two kick returns. But the Patriots outplayed them in that game. Uh, The Bills did not play all that well in a game that they were still trying to play uh, for that neutral site AFC championship for the rights to that. So um, the Bills have not played great for the last eight quarters of football outside of huge, huge splash plays. And even, even on offense, that's basically what they've been. It's, it's these huge, huge splash plays. Um, so if, if those go quiet at all, they're in some serious trouble. So um, I I think the Chiefs, honestly, I, it's interesting. Actually, here's, here's a question. If you're the Chiefs, you probably feel way better about facing the Bills in a, in a vacuum, about facing the Bills than you, the Bengals. The Bengals are kind of your boogeyman. They've beaten you three times in, in two years. But since he would have to go to Kansas City, whereas Buffalo is in Atlanta at a neutral site, who are you rooting for on Sunday if you wrap it up on Saturday for Kansas City? That's it. I hadn't thought about this. That That's interesting to me. Hmm. I feel like you probably want to play home field. So the players are probably pulling for Cincinnati because they want home field. They want to avenge. They probably want to avenge. Yeah, I think the better matchup is Buffalo on a neutral site, though. I think the, I think the how the game ended last year would be in Joe or not in Joe Burrow would be in Josh Allen's head. I think you could mm-hmm. see him pushing too hard early in the game. So, I mean, psychoanalyzing a guy, I don't know, but I think the better matchup for them is the Bills. But I think they would probably want the Bengals. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, that's, I thought that was interesting. By the way, um, they really backloaded the the games here. I think they kind of put the potential maybe blowouts on Saturday with, with Kansas City, Jacksonville, and Philly, New York. But they put the two primetime, you know, don't miss them, you know, Tiffany franchises, Niners, Cowboys, and then Joe Burrow, Josh Allen uh, on Sunday. Uh, it's kind of nice uh, I, that we get to – to get our football out of the way on Saturday uh, to, to watch this stuff on Sunday. I, I, I think that there was definitely some strategy behind that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Although, although you couldn't put, you couldn't put the other NFC game on Saturday since the winter would yeah. be coming off of Monday night football, but which That's is an true. advantage for the Eagles. They get, 
they get the Giants, who will be coming off of a short week now. And yeah, then, yeah. It's, well, it's and, really and interesting. They, they will have extra time because, if assuming they win, it'll be a normal week for the winner of Dallas and um, San Francisco. But the Eagles will have an extra day. So the Eagles are going to have a rest advantage in every playoff game this offseason. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they didn't put Bengals-Bills on Saturday and put Eagles-Giants on Sunday. And you would have had Bengals and Bills on the same amount of rest. But instead, mm-hmm. they put that on Sunday and put the Giants-Eagles on Saturday, screwing the Giants. But like you said, you couldn't put two NFC games on. Okay, and then the last NFC game is Cincinnati, or not Cincinnati, reading the wrong line on my schedule here. It's Dallas at San Francisco on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Kyle Shanahan knows Dan Quinn. They work together in the past. He will call things specifically designed to mess up Dan Quinn's defense. Like He knows all the rules. Uh, He knows how to bend it. He He knows the answers to the test before he takes it. And so... I fully expect San Francisco to come into this game with their offense locked and loaded. The question becomes the same question it was last week. How is Brock Purdy going to do under the lights? Because I thought he faltered early in that game against Seattle. If you falter early in a game against Dallas, and if Dak plays as well as he did against Tampa Bay, you might be in a 20-point hole. And then you can't lean on that running game. You're going to have to push the ball downfield and try to generate explosives. And granted, their offense has been good at doing that, uh, but it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, Micah Parsons versus Trent Williams is going to be a matchup I can't wait to watch unfold in this game. I honestly, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to pick in this game. I'm going to pick the 49ers because similar to the whole Josh Allen thing, I don't trust Dak not to implode. This team has been so streaky. I'm going to bet on the steady team, not the high-variance team in the playoffs. And it's ridiculous that I'm more confident that Mr. Irrelevant won't implode than Dak Prescott. And it's not a shot at Dak as quarterback. I think Dak is a very, very good quarterback. But they've had issues with turnovers. And if the turnovers start to flow, San Francisco can get a lead and then they can play from that lead. I think they can protect it. So this, I mean, obviously, I'm Eagles aside, this is the game I'm most excited to watch, uh, and I'll pick San Francisco in a close one. I don't ever remember an NFL playoff game that I have had less of a definitive opinion on who is going to win than this one. Uh, I've went back and forth in my head so many times. It's, it's such a close game. I think it gets decided by a field goal at the end. I'm going to pick Dallas, I guess. Wait, wait, wait. I, I, you just said it's going to be decided by a field goal, and then you picked the team whose kicker missed four extra uh, points. You're right. San Fran. You just convinced me with that exactly. I'm going with San Fran. Um, see, I've already I've already switched. I have no pick on this game. I, I really think it's, it, it's such a toss-up. Um, I, I think Dallas is really, really talented, and I think if Dak plays it, – it, it's Dak. To, to be quite honest, you just put it well, and it's a good reason to pick San Fran. This game comes down to Dak Prescott. It really does, more than Brock Purdy. You said you have more faith in Brock Purdy not to implode, and you're right, because he will not be in, put in position to implode. Dak has to win them the game or lose them the game. Brock Purdy doesn't have to do that. So Brock Purdy just has to kind of do his job, just stay in your lane. 
Dak has to do a lot more for the Cowboys to win than Purdy has to do for the Niners to win. So, um, I, you know, it's it's all it's all going to come down to how Dak plays. If Dak throws for 300 yards and three plus touchdowns, Dallas wins the game. If he doesn't, they probably don't. So, take that for what it's worth. And Dak will either beat the 49ers or he will beat the Cowboys. I totally 100% agree with that. All right. Well, that is going to about wrap it up for our wild card weekend review divisional preview show. Um, before we get out of here, Mark, do you have any final thoughts for the people? Um, I, you go first and then maybe if I have one, no, I, I have it. There it goes. I have it. And it's on Brandon Staley. I had Shane on my radio show on Saturday and for the first time ever, I let uh, a guest of mine give out the donkey brains of the week. And I had Shane give it out to Brandon Staley for playing Mike Williams um, in, in week 18. And I have a strong feeling that there will be a back-to-back donkey brains of the week award winner um, in Brandon Staley once again this week. Yeah, he, he deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. He has, he has certified donkey brains. <laughs> All right. Uh, for my final thoughts, I'm going to talk NFL playoffs. Uh, NFL, we do not need a Monday night football game for Wild Card Weekend. It is a massive disadvantage for a team to have to play Monday night football on Wild Card Weekend and turn around and play on a short week for a playoff game. Nobody needs a Monday night playoff game. I mean, it's the Cowboys this year, so I don't hate it as much as I would if it was anybody else, but. There's just no reason for that. Put three games on Saturday. Put three games on Sunday. Uh, there should be no Monday night football when it comes to the playoffs. I understand why you want to do Saturday and Sunday. I totally get it. You don't want two games on at the same time. That's fine. To the best of your ability, though, the playoff schedule should be set up where like NFC teams play Saturday AFC teams play Sunday, rinse and repeat for the conference or the divisional round, rinse and repeat for the conference title game, and then you get the extra week off before the Super Bowl. So that one day advantage doesn't really matter. That's how the playoffs should be structured if we're talking about fairness. And let's be honest, it's not going to hurt your bottom dollar any. You're still going to have all the games on. Everybody's watching them. Uh, I think we need to clean up the playoff schedule. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I I I totally agree. But I will. I, I thought I was talking on mute there for a second. My apologies. But I thought that uh, you know, I you know, it, it got my work day done a little faster on Monday. To, to you know, to get home to watch Monday Night Football. So if it's that simple, like I, I guess I understand. But man, it's definitely a, a disadvantage to the teams playing. Not that I'm crying for the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah, they can go, they can go cry into their home Thursday night or their home Thursday Thanksgiving game. Uh, so they don't <laughs> yes. get to complain about it because they have a scheduling advantage every year. But it is a disadvantage, and it would be easily fixed. So, all right, that is gonna do it here. That'll wrap up episode number eighty-eight of Chalk Talk. Thank you guys that joined live and commented. Those of you listening later, we really appreciate you as well. Uh, if you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, be sure you smash that subscribe button, turn on notifications so you don't miss the next episode. You can drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts as well. 
If you are a fan of a team that did not make the playoffs, be sure you don't miss our last episode, last week's episode 87, Fixing Your Franchise, where we talked bullet points for every team uh, for the offseason. Uh, when the season is over, we will still have you guys covered through the offseason doing some creative stuff. We'll be doing some draft stuff, although it'll be in a different feed with details to come on that later. Uh, but you guys keep it tuned here. Give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at half and half underscore TPL. He is at Mark Henry Jr. So for me, from Mark, from the Painted Lines, we'll see you guys next time.